0: Hello, late night listeners. Uh, this is Brian, and I wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon. It's a really fun thing. It's a great way to support the show, and it gets you access to all kinds of exclusive stuff. We have exclusive mini episodes. We have videos of me, for example, writing music for various things of the show. Layton's doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just a really fun community. You also get access to our Discord if you sign up for our $5 a month tier or up. So uh, if you like the show and you like what you hear, please check us out over on Patreon. It's really a great way to to support us, thanks so much, and enjoy late night with Brian. Whacked. It's my Don Pardo impression.
1: I'm used to all the time just like something slipping out Freudian on a podcast. <laughs> that reveals too much of my weaknesses. I can't let my people know this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How long have you guys been doing your podcast?
1: Goosebumps we did been doing since I was blown away like six years. Fuck. It was kind of weird to think that or like, oh, yeah, 2015 was a different time. Simpler time over there. That's insane. That's <laughs> a lot time to stick to a very dumb premise of let's read Goosebumps books.
2: It's an excellent premise, though. I'm so curious because I think we talked about this a little bit when I was on Goosebumps with y'all, which was a blast.
1: It was a great episode.
2: I super enjoyed it. What Goosebumps books stand out to you as being the best, the worst? And additionally, what's your general take on R.L. Stein? Wow. You, by this point, must be a Goosebumps scholar, like a legitimate worldwide expert.
0: This is the most interviewee question that we have ever asked anyone. And it's 30 seconds into the episode.
2: God, you're right.
1: Am I on Fresh Air, right, with Terry Gross (laughs) right now? That's how good these questions are. (laughs) I would say the best book out of the core Goosebumps series, because at this point, Goosebumps is a franchise where there's Beyond Fear Street, there's Goosebumps Horrorland, Goosebumps Slappy World. Like, we don't even know what those series are yet. They're just offshoots of the core 62 Goosebumps books. I'd say Camp Jelly Jam uh, is the best one. Mm -hmm. Uh, because sports are terrifying. It's an athletic camp. And the way they handle the monster at the end that actually is just, like, subjecting kids to wash its gross back.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And scrub all of its, like, impurities, and if they don't stop scrubbing, everyone will get nauseous and puke and pass out is a very, like, oh, did, like, Junji Ito step in for this one? Like, what's going
2: on? (laughs) (laughs) Someone with considerably more talent and investment in the, <laughs> the thematic yeah. elements of story. Folks, if you're listening just to be a narcissist, you should go listen to Goosebuds in general. But on the episode that I'm on, we talk about how arl Stein just like, my books are not about anything.
1: Yeah. He said this in interviews, that there's not plot or whatever it is. Like, there's no characters. It's just things happen.
2: Yeah. There was that quote about like, oh, I just thought it would be funny if there was a store that sold a giant hamster. <laughs> And then he just straight up like writes that.
1: <laughs> we have theorized, and I think he's kind of half admitted to this. So it was like, Tim Jacobus does all the amazing covers that everyone remembers as artist, He would do that off of like a title that RL gave him and nothing else. And so we always wondered if Tim Jacobus just made this art. And I was like, yeah, I could, I can do something with that. <laughs> oh, there's invisible feet on the stairs. Oh, maybe it was a mirror that turns him invisible. You know what I mean? Like he just kind of rolls with it. I have to ask
0: this, Chad, how old are
1: you? Am I 33? I think I'm 33.
0: So you probably know what this is because of your Goosebumps association, but
1: I'm sure you are too young
0: to remember Bananas Magazine.
1: (laughs) I've heard it referenced. That was not a porno mag, right?
0: (laughs) No, it was not. It was a kids magazine in the... Probably started in the late 70s, but I think went into the mid 80s. It would have features about Saturday morning cartoons and Transformers and that stuff. And the main dude was jovial Bob Stein. Oh,
1: of course. Was he editor of Bananas? I
0: believe so. If not, he was one of the main people whose name was associated with it. And it was not until relatively far into the Goosebumps existence that I was like, wait a minute. R.L. Stein is Jovial Bob Stein <laughs> from Bananas Magazine. That guy became a kid's horror thing. And I remember him writing about slee stacks and shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's probably better at that, honestly. I would and guess.
0: <laughs> wow. Do you know what a slee stack is, Layton?
2: No, what is that?
1: Well, I mean, listen, I, we all remember the popular Will Ferrell Land of the Lost movie that brought slee stack back into the <laughs> cultural consensus.
0: That's right. So Sleestack was the main race of adversaries from the original Land of the Lost cartoon, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Where a family goes, maybe not back in time, but probably to another dimension.
1: They kind of go through a hot tub time machine now that I think about it. Indeed. Indeed. They kind of go through a swirling vortex and suddenly they're in dinosaur times.
0: They're in dinosaur times, but there's a race of like lizard creatures.
1: Yeah, as it happened in real life. <laughs> That's right. Called Slee Stacks, who are the bad guys. It's also it might be Giants lyrics references, Sleestacks.
2: Sorry, I'm currently trying to find some examples of jokes from these books because I feel like as a <laughs> as a comedy podcast where we gotta do a little review.
1: Of Jovial Bob Stein. I think he has a couple like bathroom reader type books he wrote. Yeah, he was a funny man. Funny man's in quotations. (laughs) Yeah. I
0: guarantee you, if I read this now, and I have not looked at an issue of Bananas Magazine since I was generously 12, I don't know, there's no way these are bearable. If I had to guess, it's sub-mad magazine levels of humor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I would be curious. I have a lot of reverence for Mad and Cracked and all of these like comedy magazines just existing. Oh, yeah. I wonder if like, if you went through as like a comedy critic and went through like any issue of it, I feel like there's gonna be a lot more misses than hits. Of course.
2: Remember when Cracked was like really good? Remember that like a decade ago, if not more?
1: Oh, you mean the website version where they were like writing like insightful, like here's 17 government websites you
2: need to know about. Yeah, actually.
0: The magazine, as far as I can tell, was never good. Actually, I did occasionally get Mad Magazine, and one time, my name was in an issue of Mad Magazine. (gasps) What? What'd you do? A friend of mine needed a name for an unflattering character and used mine. A friend of mine who was a writer. (laughs)
2: Hey, that's cool.
0: Yeah, I wish I had gotten a copy of it. Like, I never really found out where it appeared. It definitely did, because he sent a picture.
2: Do you know in what context this Brian Wecht was intensely unsavory?
0: I can't remember. I believe it had something to do with the NBA, though.
2: You're
1: covering up your own crimes. NBA all-star forward Brian Wecht.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do remember asking him. I remember this email. He was like, is it cool if I use your name? And I was like, yeah, I guess, you know, whatever. And he goes, cool. You know, I won't make it too bad. I remember what he said. He said, I'm not going to have someone with your name looking like some hillbilly and say something like, Yimini Yeepers, if that ain't the best dog vomit I ever eat it, or my name isn't Brian Wecht. <laughs> These are some of
1: your best catchphrases, Brian. Yeah,
0: I know. Yimini yeepers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had cracked growing up, and I didn't even know about Mad Magazine. So like a Philistine In, like, high school, I see a cover of Mad. I'm like, what's this ripoff of Cracked? Huh. Who's this smug motherfucker? I'm looking at the, I forget, the mascot of Mad. Alfred E. Newman. I was like, who's this guy stealing credits from Cracked, the original comedy magazine? It was wrong. It was wrong. (laughs) I remember feeling that Cracked was too edgy. It's kind of those, like, jokes where you think you're reading, like, a dirty, like, sex joke without even realizing what it means, right? Uh Uh-huh. Every issue would be, so what's the movie that's in theaters right now? Is it Men in Black? Okay, here's our Men in Black parody. And it's like a 20-page comic where just all the names are like... Men in Yek. Agent Gay and Agent... (laughs) (laughs) Whatever would be things that sound like the characters' names. And that would be the joke.
0: Yeah, it was real punny and not particularly funny. I don't know if Cracked was like this. Mad loved the word Yek, like Y E. (laughs) cch so it'd be like star yeah probably because it rhymed with a lot of stuff but they would use yak and oh god who is the fucking
1: guy i know the guy did sergio and gonis did a bunch because i found a bunch of like his old comics as a kid right Who did like grew i think he did some for like mad and cracked
0: don martin had a very signature style you should look up don martin on monopia because it's astonishing.
2: Oh, yes. Okay. I see this. That's very iconic. Listen, while you old timers were talking about a dying medium, I was (laughs) hacking into the mainframe and creating an account on archive.org so that I can access Jovial Pop Stein's 101 Silly Monster Jokes. Oh, Oh, wow. I've rented it for a single hour because that's a thing that you can do now. They're just like, oh, you want to rent a book for an hour? Let's see how fast you can read, motherfucker. Okay. (sighs) Okay. We got one. How does a monster count to 345?
0: Oh, oh, uh, on its fingers.
2: Got it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Did you just know that one? Chad, I'm a professional humorist, and I will be able to guess the punchline (laughs) to any joke. Hit me with another one, Layden.
2: All right. Which side of King Kong has the most fur? The outside. God damn it.
1: (laughs) This is like Jeopardy, and I'm getting beat to the buzzer every time. Was I right about that, Layden?
2: Yes, you were correct. So we're going to do Dracula jokes for 400. Who has the most dangerous job in Transylvania? Dentist. Yep. I buzzed in, though. (laughs) We're
0: not buzzing in. Fuck you. We're not buzzing in. Oh, okay. I had yeah.
2: No, I'm actually demanding that you buzz in.
1: (laughs) Okay, fine.
2: (laughs) Uh, The dentist lane? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I've got one that you're not going to guess because it's such a terrible joke. Why did Frankenstein stick his finger in the electrical socket? (laughs) Go.
1: He wanted to wake up. Shit.
0: (laughs) I'm going to say he wanted to see the light.
2: He wanted to keep up on current events. Shut up, Bob. Yeah. (laughs) Thumbs down. These are so awful. Yeah. What would you get if you crossed a watchdog with a werewolf, a very nervous mailman? Come on. That's a great (laughs) joke.
1: (laughs) I don't hate that one. I
2: don't. (laughs) What would you get if you crossed a mummy with a necktie? A Christmas present for dad that's already wrapped. I guess.
0: I'm going to say that's the worst one yet.
2: Okay, I got a good one. Who's a monster's favorite movie star? Keep in mind, this was published in
0: 1986. Okay. Yeah. Tom
1: Booze.
2: (laughs) That is incorrect. Chat
1: for 200. Jaja (laughs) Gagore.
0: That's very good. I feel confident we can guess this.
2: And I'm also going to do the question that's next to it because they're similarly hack celebrity puns. Who's a monster's favorite comedian? So we're looking at movie star and comedian.
0: This is Go. Jim Scary. <laughs> that's very good. I was going to say George Scarlin. <laughs> Bill Cosby.
2: <laughs> you guys are on the right track with Scary.
0: Scary Shandling. <laughs> Scarcenio Hall
2: (laughs) You guys have basically written this whole book already With much better jokes that are actually in here I mean this is how you
1: write it, right? You just do a bunch of coke And you just see how fast you can get it out (laughs) during the day
2: all right. I'll tell you The movie star is Scary Grant Uh, Uh, In the 80s? Come on Yeah And the monster's favorite comedian Blob Hope See, I was going to say Bob Hope, and I was like, I can't think of anything that's scary with Bob Hope. Uh, Our
0: problem was thinking of comedians that existed after the 50s.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which clearly R.L. Stein could not do. Okay, one last one. First monster says, you don't have a brain in your head. Second monster says, which head? You get a little double entendre for children.
1: Wait, is that the joke? Yeah. That's great.
2: I wasn't sure if that was the setup or still the punchline for it. That's how you know it's a good joke if you don't know if it's the setup or the (laughs) punchline.
0: I hear a lot of these because I live with a six-year-old who, like many children her age, understands the formal structure of a joke, but nothing about what makes things funny. So she will do the setup and then a completely nonsensical punchline. Knock-knock jokes are very easy because they're so formulaic. So she told this one the other day. Knock-knock. Who's there? Banana. Banana Banana who? Look at me. I am a banana.
2: (laughs) (laughs) See, I like that, though. It's a surreal, absurdist bent. Like, for some reason, I decided last night that I wanted to really dissociate. And I was like, I'm going to read a bunch of Wikipedia pages about very current events and people. And then I discovered, like, the documentation that Wikipedia has about, like, social media personalities and shit. So I was reading the Wikipedia page for Drill. (laughs)
1: the actual wikipedia this isn't like wiki twitter or whatever yes
2: look at it it's long it's very scholarly <laughs> <laughs>
1: Drill deserves
0: one, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it talks about how like influential he is to the language of the internet and like how ubiquitous so many of the things are, such as corn cobbing and you under no circumstances got to hand it to him.
0: Speaking of that, actually, you know what I learned? I learned that the phrase back to the drawing board originates from a New Yorker cartoon.
2: Really? What's the cartoon?
0: It's like an engineer walking away from a plane crash. And he says, well, back to the old drawing board. Is there a joke there or
1: just like a dark moment?
0: You know, for a while, like kind of in the Charles Adams era, New Yorker cartoons occasionally got a little darker than they do now. I don't think it's an Adams.
1: That's a dark joke. I guess, is that implying that he got out of the plane or that he watched the plane crash?
0: No, I think that he designed it and it just didn't work. There were three phrases that I learned came from New Yorker cartoons. Two of which I had heard of, the other of which I hadn't. The famous one that's closer to our modern era is On the Internet, Nobody Knows You're a Dog.
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know if I've heard that one before. On the Internet, No One Knows You're a Dog.
0: Oh, it's a classic, probably late 90s New Yorker cartoon, and it's a dog typing at a computer, and the dog says, On the Internet, No One Knows You're a Dog, which is pretty great. And the other is a timeless classic from, I think, the 20s or 30s, which is... (laughs) I say it's spinach, and I say the hell with it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) So the phrase, I say it's spinach, became a saying. There's an Irving Berlin song called, I say it's spinach, and the hell with it. This came up on the Lexicon Valley podcast, and I was like, what? I say it's spinach? So that became a phrase meaning, that's nonsense. Like, well, I say it's spinach.
1: (laughs) It's kind of a you say tomato, I say tomato, in a way. The context of the
0: cartoon is a mother serving her daughter broccoli, which I guess at the time was a relatively unusual vegetable.
1: (laughs) We hadn't figured out how to bring it to America yet.
0: Exotic. It's an Italian thing, I guess. You know, the Italian immigrants brought it to America and the mother was serving it to her daughter and says something like, it's broccoli, it's called broccoli, dear. And the kid says, well, I say it's spinach and I say the hell with it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's at least funny. Speaking of origins of comic and stuff. I'm just thinking of the far side cow tools panel.
1: Oh, is that the one where it's like, just like sculptures of things that look like udders, but aren't really udders. And,
0: and resulted in a massive letter writing campaign to Gary Larson.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Layton, do you want to explain
2: this? So have you seen this image, Chad?
0: It's like a cow, as I remember in like a kind of like a cave cow. Right. And there's a bunch of weirdly shaped objects.
1: Yeah. For some reason, I always thought one of them was like an utter scoop, but it's it's a cow standing in front of his barn and on a table with a bunch of weird objects. And one looks like a saw. One's like a stick.
2: Yeah. The whole like idea behind it is just like, this is a cow showing off their primitive anthropological tools. And it's funny because it's a cow, but everyone was just like, what the fuck does this mean?
1: They need to know.
2: Yeah. I remember that story being in like one of the big Far Side collections that I had that's also alongside the one where it's like a dog finally catches a car and is like on top of the car howling. Yes. But (laughs) due to like two little lines.
0: I think they're supposed to be like the transmission casing on the bottom of the car.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So there's like a little bump in it. But basically because of the lines, it makes it look like the dog is humping the car.
0: (laughs) It looks like the dog is straight up fucking the car.
2: (laughs) Oh, I remember that one too. Yeah. It's mounted the car. That's right. Which is the funnier joke, but then everyone was extremely scandalized by that showing up in the Sunday funnies. <laughs> this
1: is a time before like dragonsfuckingcars.com.
2: I do love dragonsfuckingcars. It's a classic.
1: I don't know that. I feel like it for me, Leighton, like, it like you recognized it, was like early days of, for me, would be like middle school, high school in the computer lab. You do the funny prank where you tell someone to go to, you know, lemon party. Of course. LemonParty.com. Yes. The other one was search dragons fucking cars. You put that on their browser and it's just like 12 really well-drawn illustrations of dragons, you know, putting their dicks in cars.
0: I'm looking on Know Your Meme right now and it says around 2004. That sounds about right. Oh, 2007 is when it exploded
1: according to this. Oh, they exploded.
2: Oh, yeah. That's kind of the whole crux. <laughs> the dragon cuff is a really important element.
1: <laughs> That's the last couple images on
0: the site. I'm clicking on Exhibit A, and it's not there.
2: Brian, I dropped a link to the subreddit.
1: Oh,
0: I've got to be
2: 18+.
1: (laughs) 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 Listen, some of these are pretty paltry drawings. I don't want to knock the artist too much, but some of these are like, you spent an hour on this.
2: But some of these are very finely crafted dragon come.
1: Oh, okay. I just got to the good one. It's a red dragon fucking
0: a blue car. Yeah, that's a good one.
2: Is that a fucking Thomas Harris, like Silence of the Lambs pull? I don't recall that happening in Red Dragon.
1: (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Is that the one where it's like, "Do you see?" and he's just showing slideshows of uh, of dragons fucking cars? Do do you see?
0: Go down to the one with the purple dragon fucking the yellow car from Cars.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't get over Ray Fiennes. doing do you see it? to Philip Seymour Hoffman is Philip Seymour <laughs> Hoffman is like crying if anybody has the wherewithal to edit that I would just die
1: and it's a photo of toothless fucking lightning McQueen
2: <laughs> oh my God
1: is that lightning McQueen so fucking funny.
0: <laughs> Wow I'm genuinely surprised I've never heard of this
2: yeah I'm surprised too you lived a better life Brian
1: have I though <laughs> <laughs>
2: I believe there's also one for like fucking airplanes. I looked up sexy airplanes and instead I'm getting actual <laughs> earnest articles written by plane enthusiasts.
0: I have to say the dicks on these dragons are disproportionate in an unpleasing way.
2: Brian, have you ever visited the old bad dot com? I think they seem pretty accurate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Here's one of toothless from how to train your dragon fucking a car.
1: Oh, yeah. He's popular. Toothless is a child. Don't sexualize Toothless.
2: Yeah, leave him alone. We want fully adult legal dragons, such as the dragon from Shrek. (laughs)
0: You know what? This seems like a good point since now it is incumbent upon you to identify yourself, Chad. So let's introduce ourselves.
2: Wait, I love the idea of (laughs) when people come on the show just an aggressive, identify yourself.
1: (laughs) Hi, everyone. My name is Chad Quant. I write for cartoons. You might have seen some of my stuff. Troll Hunters, Tales of Arcadia on Netflix and the follow-up series Wizards, Tales of Arcadia on Netflix. You know, also Unikitty on Cartoon Network uh, was a fun show I wrote on and recently wrapped up on Star Trek Prodigy coming to Nickelodeon. I don't know if I know that for sure. Animated yeah, Star Trek show. It's gonna be fucking sick. It's so cool. And uh, I do a podcast called Goosebuds that we already talked about, obviously earlier on. And Layden was on a
2: couple months ago. We covered which book Layden? Well, we covered two different books because we bought the wrong ones. Yeah. Did you and I read the same one? Yeah,
1: we read 10 short stories, but like there were multiple books called 10 short stories or 10 tales to give you goosebumps. It was a good time.
2: It was a blast. The stories were fucking awful. R.L. Stein clearly hates children. (laughs) Which is what I look for in somebody who creates children's media, just somebody who loathes a real Maurice Sendak kind of vibe.
1: (laughs) I thought you were going to say like, oh, you know, Chad, you just loathe kids. (laughs) That's why you're so good at what you do. That reminds me of when Danny and I
0: got our first manager. You know, we were trying out some other stuff and trying to generate other ideas for like pilot scripts beyond NSP. And at one point, someone floated the idea of a children's band, a kid's band, where they're all complete monsters and hate children. And (laughs) I remember the manager, who's this very nice guy. uh, I really liked him a lot. He was like, guys, you can try it, but it's been tried and no one's ever succeeded.
2: When has it been tried? It was called The Wiggles.
0: <laughs> right? The closest thing I can think, which is not this, is Shakes the Clown.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. See, I was going to say uh, Death to Smoochie, another similar. Very similar.
0: But I can't remember anything with a band, but I was just like, oh, it's just known to this guy that this is an idea that doesn't work, and you can try it, but it won't work. I thought that was really interesting.
2: Yeah,
1: I've run into that before. Again, I want to see that tried. It's hard to do anytime where the story is, the characters are miserable. Yes. If they don't want to be there, I don't know if I want to be there. It's kind of a rule I do for storytelling sort of thing. Or you make that part of the story, right? Oh, we're trapped in a safe and we gotta get out of here. Sure, there's a want, but like if the characters hate being with each other, then you're like, just get me out of this show, like free me. Yeah.
2: There's a terrible man who exists in our orbit who we all barely tolerate, who I think begrudgingly admit pulls this off very well, and that would be Aaron's dear uncle, uh, Dr. Cecil H.H. Mills. That's true. (laughs) Nails that the hatred for children is truly visceral. And don't tell him I said this, but it's very funny.
0: But we're talking about fictional characters here, Leighton, not real people. So I don't think Cecil H.H. Mills qualifies.
1: I mean, I haven't met him yet.
2: That's good. You might want to keep it that way. He's an asshole. (laughs)
1: there <laughs> so just general just distaste for him in the circle of connections to Cecil?
2: And beyond. Basically anybody who has ever had the misfortune of crossing paths with Cecil is not too fond. He's left a trail of questionable arsons and tax fraud in his wake, you know?
0: I had to write a song for him and he was a nightmare.
2: That song was great though. It was a real slapper. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Hopefully I paid for it. <laughs> oh, Chad. <laughs> not just to talk about like, you know, dumb writing industry stuff, but you reminded me of the pitch of like, let's do a band where, you know, everyone's miserable or they hate the kids and saying that's just kind of a no-go. I feel like I've run into a couple things in my limited time out here in the last 10 years where like certain ideas or concepts are just like, yeah, it's taken swings at.
0: Yeah, which is somehow more interesting than like the Blacklist or you know, these amazing scripts that go around that just haven't ever been made. It's somehow more interesting that there are fairly widely known archetypes yeah. of plots that people would be like, yeah, good luck with that one.
2: There's always a story there for like why it's a no-go.
1: Yeah. Or at least there's like biases. The one that comes to my mind first is, this is years ago, but pitching to a couple of executives a show that wasn't even about this, but as soon as, you know, we would say the term steampunk, Ooh. like, the lights in their eyes died. <laughs> <laughs> People don't want to hear steampunk pitch because, like, every writer has got, I got an idea about big blimps. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. stories to tell about pipes. Not only are they sick of it, but executives, I think, see that as... Oh, well, you don't really have a story to tell. You just want to do Legion of Extraordinary Gentlemen. There's not characters there, but just a theme.
0: I remember being told, never say it's going to be like, insert name of your favorite sketch show, Uh, because all of your favorite sketch shows were disasters. They may have become dearly beloved. Name any of
1: them, you know. Kids in the Hall.
0: Mr. Show, because I remember we were pitching some NSP thing and we were saying, oh, kind of like a Tenacious D thing. And they were like, oh, you mean that failure?
1: What? Come on. Oof.
0: Well, Tenacious D, which is a huge touring act and has all this hit albums and blah, blah, blah. But from a TV perspective, I don't think they had a full show even. It was like sketches on HBO. But I guess that wasn't considered a hit and the movie didn't do well, uh, even though the movie is very funny. Mm Mm-hmm. But I remember being told, like, don't say you want to do a Tenacious D thing because they will hear that and think televised failure.
1: <laughs> I totally believe that. And that's also seems so unfair because it's such a shorthand in getting your ideas for a vision across to still do the like it's die hard, but on a submarine. Yeah, yeah. I'm just giving you a reference point, but then you know that the people you're talking to have like it's almost like trigger words where they have bad memories of that experience or that entity or whatever. And you're not even like unfairly going against it.
2: It's a similar old chestnut when you're pitching games too, where like, it's one thing if you're doing a show, it's still not a great idea to be like, oh, it's like this thing crossed with this thing. But especially in games, it's like, well, if you say that this is Minecraft crossed with Fortnite, do you mean artistically in terms of mechanics? Like all this stuff, there's so many things that that can mean. And it's so nonspecific that it is like, Super unhelpful.
0: Can I say, I've been trying to play Minecraft for the better part of two months now, and I <laughs> cannot successfully set up a Microsoft account. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that's the barrier, the Microsoft account.
0: Yes, I've been trying to play it on the Switch, and I set up the Microsoft account, and I got it to link, and I can never see the realm that my friends, many of whom are in twerp, by the way, on the server... I don't know what the difference in Minecraft between a realm and a server is, so I apologize if I'm using those incorrectly. But I cannot see the server that these guys started. And I tried for, I mean, legitimately a month to get this fucker working, and it has not worked. And I feel like I'm really missing out. (laughs) Although, here, I'll tell you some Minecraft drama that happened on this server. (laughs) One of the guys on it was like, Oh, I logged on for the first time in a while last night is on the, the like text thread that everyone's on. This house just appeared with all this cool stuff and I totally looted it. And then <laughs> someone else got on. Uh, I, I, I think it was uh, have Hogan, I believe who was like, yeah, I built that and you just destroyed it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm in a, a big old gamer group chat on discord with Aaron and all the tort boys and Jory and such. And they've been playing a lot of Rust lately, and I know nothing about Rust, but I've just been getting the updates on the continual hellish frustration that they're going through. (laughs) And they're like, come play Rust with us. I'm like, I I don't know. It seems like it causes you a lot of suffering.
1: I love the idea of any of the games like a Minecraft or Rust where it's a persistent server where if you're not on, things can happen because it makes it feel more real. Did you all ever see a really great underrated animated show called Mission Hill? Oh,
2: yeah, sure. I've seen clips from it.
1: Very, very good and underrated. It failed because it was on like UPN when they didn't have other cartoons. But one of the best episodes is about a made-up game that is better than most games that exist. That was like, like, they predicted Rust, where if you weren't logged into your computer guarding your castle, other players could come by and like raid your castle and take all your shit. And like, it breaks these like six nerds, right? They're all like guarding it and no one's having fun and everything. And like, I've been trying to chase that white horse for, like, 20 years, and I feel like Russ is the closest I've heard to, like, if, yeah, this is serious. Some dude's going to come in and just take all your shit. They're going to blow up all your walls that you built. I just don't have time for that.
2: That sounds so fucking stressful. Yes. That sounds awful. That's the opposite of what I want out of a video game.
1: Well, that's very fair. But as soon as I say that, when I had the free time, 20-year-old Chad really wanted that, like, persistent need and anxiety. But, yeah, nowadays it'd probably be like, let's put the locks on the doors so I can walk away.
0: I don't have the time or the energy to
1: maintain anything virtual.
2: I have neither the heart nor the gumption.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You were doing Animal Crossing earlier this year, right? That kinda counts.
2: Oh, I got like 500 hours in, but the thing with me in video games is I will play one very obsessively, like unhealthy obsessively, and then drop it in all other games for like six months. That's not sustainable. I'm not like, oh, I'm going to play a little bit of this every day. So like I glutted myself to death on Animal Crossing. And now the idea of touching it just makes me ill. And I'm sure in a month, check back in and I'll be like, I just renovated my entire island and I haven't slept. We'll follow up on that eventually.
1: Even that one, I have that residual fear of like, I haven't gone back in six months.
2: Yeah, 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 totally.
1: It got me through March and April. And I know the villagers are cool this time. They're not as bad about making you feel bad about not being there.
2: I wish they made you feel bad.
1: Oh, you want more guilt? (laughs) You want more punishment and guilt?
2: Yeah, the original one, the animals are dicks to you. They'll straight up, like, rob you.
1: (laughs) Wait, really? They'll go into your house and take your shit?
2: No, they won't go into your house. They'll just be like, hey, I noticed that you have that million dollar crown in your pockets. It would be a shame if somebody just took it right now. (laughs) (laughs) And they would, like, make you do chores and shit. Like, they were really bitchy. And now they're all just super agreeable. See, this is a thing that I need. It, it belongs in a therapist's office. From like, I need this really cutesy game for children to be just downright cruel to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember thinking I, around the time I was like, probably like a couple months into Animal Crossing, where like I was looking for another level of challenge to the persistent, colorful cartoon world. Where I know I'm pitching to game designers, and that's you're gonna right, laugh at me. But like, if you had an Animal Crossing where it was all the similar, same stuff but you were actually like a human that they thought was an animal. And like you have a suit on.
0: Oh, so you're like at constant risk of being found out?
1: Being constant risk of found out. So you have to like sneak out at night to like, gather more supplies for your owl costume or whatever. It's a little bit like The Good Place, if you're Eleanor in The Good Place. Yeah. And you have to keep the ruse going. And if they find you out, they're just going to eat you.
2: They're just going to stone you to death in the public square. Yeah, totally. Tom Nook is going to be like, get him.
1: Yeah, yeah. that was like me going like, I want to play that game now next. And I think like my girlfriend, I was like, why, why though? Why do you need this adorable rhino that's part ice cream to hunt you?
0: (laughs) Manimal crossing. Oh,
1: that's good.
2: Brian, there's a thing that we talked about talking about that we talked about talking about last week that we should talk about this episode, but I'm not sure if you want to talk about it when we do Peaches or if you want to talk about it now because I've been chomping at the bit to talk about it.
0: I think we have to talk about it now.
2: Now that I've mentioned
0: it, yeah. Here's the setup. On December 24th, known to some as Christmas Eve, I ran out to get the family's food for that evening, which as per my own family tradition growing up is always Jewish deli food. So I went out to Brent's Deli in Northridge and got some lovely corned beef and pastrami and rye bread and pickles and all that good stuff. And when I came home, waiting for me was a delivery from Gold Belly, which is a wonderful food delivery service that does not sponsor this show. But should. But should. And I opened it up only to find an amazing assortment of things from one of my classic favorite bagel places, H&H in New York, which was six bagels, some Primo Nova Scotia lox, and scallion cream cheese. And I was like, this is incredible. I absolutely love this. And it was a Christmas gift. And my producer, Jim Roach, had told me earlier that day, he's like, your gift is coming. It's probably going to get there today. And so I text Jim and I say, dude, I got the bagels. Thank you so much. And he was like, what are you talking about?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I
0: did not send you bagels. And I was like, okay, this is a pretty large box. And because it had cream cheese and smoked salmon in it, it it was like, you know, ice packed and sealed and all this shit. And so I tear this thing apart, looking for any kind of note to indicate who it's from. And there is nothing. I took the refrigerated pack and like sliced it open with a knife (laughs) to get into its guts (laughs) to try to find a note, nothing.
2: Secret message. (laughs)
0: The thing that was extra perfect about this too is part of my Christmas tradition is I get a whitefish. I love whitefish. So I got a whitefish and now I had this amazing cream cheese and bagels to eat with the whitefish. It was like literally the perfect timing for this.
1: This is from New York, right? Like this was shipped across the country.
0: From New York, probably overnight or something. Like it is a lovely, lovely gift. Um, And I have no idea who it's from. And I reach out to a few friends being like, hey, did you send me the bagels? Nope. No one knows where they came from. Mm. I had been looking at Goldbelly earlier that week to do a similar gift, you know, just looking for something for, like, my sister or whatever. And I put in my email, like, to get the discount code. And part of me was like, did they look me up? And this is, like, some, like, brand deal thing that I didn't know about, like an overture to a brand deal. <laughs> sure. Anyway, this mystery just sits for... Two weeks.
1: Question Do you eat the bagels?
0: Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I devoured
1: this stuff. You didn't know where they were from, but you were like, I'm eating these things because they're from a place I love.
0: That's correct. It was, you know, nicely packaged. This wasn't like someone left an unpackaged bagel on my front doorstep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a bagel on your stoop with a weight over it, like your roadrunner.
0: <laughs> yeah, the bagel of Damocles. <laughs>
2: Well, that's
0: the episode title. So I had no idea where these things came from. We were recording uh, an episode of the podcast last week, and I was going to talk about it as one of my peaches, and I forgot or ran out of time or something, but I think I forgot. And then later, I believe that day, or maybe it was early the next, uh, Leighton texts me, and she's like, well, fuck, I guess your Christmas gift never got there. I sent you bagels. (laughs) And I was like, what the shit? Oh, my God. Like, I immediately texted Rachel. And I was like, they're from Leighton. The bagels were from Leighton. Oh, my God.
1: You guys have talked since then.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: We are texting, I mean, more or less every other day about podcast things and whatever. Like, you know, we're in very frequent communication. (laughs) And this had never come up.
2: Well, I had repeatedly (laughs) told you, like, your Christmas gift should be there. And so on my end, literally when I text you this, because I didn't want to do the reveal, and I was so disappointed, because from my point of view, I was like, when the fuck is this going to get delivered? I ordered this, like, (laughs) mid-December, and I've heard nothing. Like, I didn't think to check the tracking shit, because I'm stupid. But I was in the middle of writing an email to Goldbelly of, like, yo, where the fuck did the bagels go?
0: The thing is, when you said your gift, I thought you were talking about you were going to draw something for Audrey and that's what I thought. Aww. You were getting that like
2: Right, I reneged on that promise and didn't do it, which I apologize for.
0: Which is fine. I don't care. <laughs> 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 It is totally fine. I don't blame you. She only cried for a little bit. It was not a big deal.
2: She rescinds those texts from the other day where she said, I love you, (laughs) (laughs) Leighton.
0: I'm going to talk about those peaches too. Oh, me too. I didn't know. I thought you drew something and then got it like printed out or something. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's what that Christmas gift that I'm going to be is. Because it was the thing you had told me about. Never in my wildest dreams did I figure that it would be this beautiful bagel assortment
2: well because you and rachel and several of our friends you were so gracious to have us in your home for christmas eve and you're like oh we do the tradition of having jewish deli food and i was like all right that's it that's the one i had no idea that it was going to r- arrive on christmas eve which just worked out it
0: was perfect so hell yeah yeah
2: hell yeah fucking right mysterious bagel benefactor that's me baby
0: that's right rich and I we're making that joke that we have a secret bagel admirer <laughs>
1: Bagel factor is also pretty good. Secret bagel factor. <laughs> so
0: as I said to you, Layton, but I will now say publicly, thank you for this truly wonderful gift, which we absolutely enjoyed. Of course. I'm so happy.
2: That's really cool. That's a really nice gift. When in doubt with giving gifts, just get them some nice food. I'm sure that's not true for everyone, but for me at least, I am so fucking psyched when people give me treats.
0: Especially something like that, where it's like, it's from where I grew up. It's something I really love. It's a kind of thing I would probably never get for myself.
2: Exactly. So
0: that makes it even better. They have some really wonderful restaurants from all over the country. I was looking at it uh, the other day. They have uh, some of the Montreal bagels, too. saint I think. Montreal bagels are a thing, if you didn't know.
2: What the fuck is that?
0: It is a slightly sweeter bagel. Oh. There are two places in Montreal. There's saint and then there's, what's the other, Fremont? Something like that. I can't remember the name of the other one.
2: Oh, these look fucking good. They have a large hole, wide set hole on this bagel.
0: Yeah, it's very wide. They're kind of thin. They're not like real puffy bagels. And I believe at least at one of the places, maybe both, they won't toast them like because they're so warm all the time. Hmm. So they just hit you go in, there's this giant funnel of bagels coming out of the oven. It's fucking great. But taste-wise, they're sweeter than classic New York bagels. The thing about Montreal is Montreal is this amazing and very vibrant Jewish population, which has some really wonderful food and is worth visiting sometime just to check out the incredible Montreal Jewish food.
1: I feel like that's especially as a nice, like not only is just sending food to someone a very sweet gift no matter what, but during the stay at home pandemic, I feel like I've appreciated those even more. Thank you for keeping me from just eating the same leftovers I've been eating all week. Like, thank you for giving me anything to throw a, a little spike in my calendar.
2: Yeah, and I had no idea that it was a place that you liked or had even heard of. I was just like, all right, this one seems legit.
1: Oh,
0: it's famous. There wasn't one in Jersey, so it wasn't something I had often because we had closer bagel places in in Jersey. But it is a canonical, famous New York bagel place. Like, definitely one of those like, oh, if you're in New York, this is the place to get bagels.
2: Shit. Oh, I want a bagel so bad right now.
0: As we all know, Los Angeles bagels are hot trash.
2: Wow. (laughs) Wow. I just...
0: (laughs) Yeah. There is a new place called Hanks. We're marketing a lot of places. Recently opened in Burbank. And I think they might be opening one in Sherman Oaks too, which has pretty decent bagels, but pretty decent is as good as LA has ever gotten in terms of bagels. You're just never going to do better than New York and New Jersey. See, I'm just wondering if I'm just trash. Yes. The answer is yes. You don't need to say anything else.
1: Well, yes, (laughs) I know that. I'm from the Midwest, but like every bagel is like, yeah, good, delicious bagel. Thank you. We'll put some spread on that and have a good old time. I I don't know if I've had a bad, even like hotel bagels. I'll still be like, ooh, free bagel. It makes my skin crawl to hear you say that, Chad. (laughs) (laughs) It's a circle of bread that you get to put delicious creams on.
0: Yeah, but like the idea of a Holiday Inn breakfast buffet bagel makes me ill. (laughs) (laughs) You don't just take regular bread and make it circular. You know, it's boiled and then it's baked. And there's a... uh,
1: What if I told you that, like, Brian, that my only way to eat bagels is I like to sneak into hotels during the Continental Breakfast and just, like, (laughs) take a bunch of those free ones. And if someone goes, hey, do you stay in here? I'm like, yeah, check my number. It's room 22, because there's always a room 22.
0: (laughs) You know what? If that's what you got to do, that's what you got
1: to do. That's my kink.
0: Don't brag about it, is all I'm going to say.
2: The petty larceny makes it taste better.
1: It does. I was mostly joking, but when my parents come to visit, they haven't done it in a while, they'll always stay at a hotel. I offer them a place to stay at my place. They stay at a hotel. And then they'll always go, well, come over in the morning for the free breakfast. And I'll be like, I didn't stay here with you guys. The hotel doesn't know. So I go, because of course, free breakfast. And that breakfast is always the most sinful, but tasty, like, (laughs) it's like dangerous breakfast. Like, oh man, hey mom, we could get busted.
2: I'm not sure if I can even agree with you here as somebody who is a real slut for free food. (laughs) (laughs) Does this cross the line? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, not even, I mean, I'm imagining like, okay, shitty bagel, a waffle that you pour into the thing, which there's like the fun novelty of that, a kind of expired yogurt, and then just like some fucking rock hard honeydew.
0: Yeah. Don't forget a tower of hard-boiled eggs.
1: Yes.
2: That have
0: just been sitting there peeled. That
1: are
2: too wet.
1: There was a chafing dish with some sausages in there. There is no sausage left, but maybe half a nub.
2: Yes, and bacon that could not legally be considered a solid... And then like just the worst scrambled eggs you've ever had in your life. That's what I'm thinking. And I always think of the Keen Peel Continental Breakfast Sketch, which is a classic. <laughs> yes. And I wish, I wish that that's how I felt about the shitty, awful pastries that they give you at a hotel breakfast.
1: That Keen Peel Sketch is me at a Continental Breakfast, but also I have a hamburger mask on, a hamburglar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, ooh, no one knows that I'm taking, ooh. <laughs> Illicit bagels.
0: You were correct, Leighton, to single out the scrambled eggs because that is the darkest shade of black at a breakfast buffet. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about the consistency. They're either sopping wet, right? Yeah. Or crisply dry.
1: Yeah. You guys don't like a good sweaty
0: egg?
2: If I make it. Yeah.
0: They look like they have cheese in them, but they don't.
2: Yeah. I don't know about y'all. Scrambled eggs without cheese is a no-go. They got to have the cheese.
0: I'm exactly the opposite. I can't eat them with cheese. I don't like cheese on eggs.
2: Right, because you hate cheese because you're a fucking freak.
1: <laughs> yes, that's correct. Egg is a good way to deliver like an omelet to system of like put some avocado, put some cheese in there.
2: I don't think I've ever had a good omelet.
0: Oh, they're definitely out there. A good omelet can be a beautiful thing. <laughs> Bringing it back to Jewish food. There's no better omelet than omelet with yellow onions, a little bit kind of browned and then locks, Mm. like good locks.
2: That sounds very, very good. I just feel like every time I get them, it's like super dry. The mix-ins like aren't incorporated. It kind of tastes like disappointment.
0: Yes, absolutely. Go fuck yourself if you make an omelet and you just fold the eggs over
1: top of whatever you put inside. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, that's that's not enough. You need to put it into the... uh...
0: Mix it the fuck in. It makes me very upset if I'm ever out eating breakfast, which hasn't happened in, oh, I don't know, a year.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And... (laughs) you order a nice omelet and it's just a bunch of shit piled on top of an egg pancake. Fuck that. I'm mad. I'm actually mad now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's so easy to fuck up eggs. Yes. But it's even easier to learn how to not fuck them up. And at a certain point, it's like you're willfully fucking this up for me. Like, especially... Yes. Why is it that so many breakfast places and diners, like, you would think egg's a cornerstone. Gotta do the egg right. And it's just, like, horrible.
0: I remember reading in one of our cookbooks which had a nice section on breakfast stuff. The person writing the cookbook was like, in any French culinary school, you will spend a large amount of time on how to make an omelet right. Because I guarantee you that you're fucking it up. And it is a common thing in a restaurant in France You just go and order an omelet. And it's well-made and it's nice. And it is a skill, like the pan has to be just right, and the heat has to be just right, and you have to spread the fucking thing out. To make a proper omelet is not a trivial thing to do. You don't just do it by instinct. You have to learn how to do it to make it really good. And I completely agree with you, Lincoln. It's real easy to fuck it up.
2: I love watching videos of like uh, people making omu rice. Have you watched those?
1: No, what be that?
2: It's like a Japanese omelet on top of rice with catch up, but the whole deal is that it's like really liquidy inside. And so they split it down the middle and just like all of the egg falls out over onto the rice. It's beautiful.
1: Oh, that sounds so good. Oh, that sounds awesome. So why do you think a theory to why diner eggs are always seem to be kind of low tier? I think most diners, 24 hour diners, your house of pies, your Denny's, they just have like, a continuous skillet that's making eggs, right? Like yes. mm-hmm. they're just turning it over. Some new eggs are going in while other eggs are staying in, and it's just churning and there's being put on plates. And you might have some eggs in there that have been in that skillet for like 12 hours, right? They're just moving around. There's one giant pot of eggs. That's my theory.
2: Then why are they all horribly over easy? It
0: goes one way or the mm.
2: other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or if you're like, I want over medium, which is like gold standard for me, a good solid over medium. Like that's what I want. You ask for an over medium and it's just like hard.
1: Over medium means what? Half runny? Is that what that means? Yes.
2: It's almost like a custardy texture when you do it right. Yeah. It's the same with like soft boiling eggs. Like that's where I want it. And by the way, boil, turn it down, six minutes. Exactly six minutes. That's the perfect soft boiled egg.
1: I think you need to have a dedicated egg person at a diner. I think you just got to have someone like there to be able to do that level of care to it.
2: egg <laughs> Put me in jovial bobs, whatever the fuck jokes.
0: (laughs) Do you guys know why in France, every cake recipe only has one egg?
2: Um, Is this a joke or a factoid?
0: I'm not going to tell you until I tell you
1: why. During one of the wars, eggs became rare and that's became the new standard. We needed the eggs for the fight. Our boys on the front lines need eggs.
0: Actually, that's an interesting theory, Chad. It's because one egg is an oof.
1: God damn it. God damn it. I gotta go
2: right now. God
0: damn it. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's pretty good. I didn't write that. It's a it's a classic dad joke.
2: <laughs> yeah, it sure is.
1: They, we're going to find out they all go back to Jovial Bob style. They all trace back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the granddaddy of all jokes. Of
0: all jokes. Who ransacked Milton Burl's private joke file.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let's say, instead of recording this from our respective homes, let's say we all walk into a generic... Greasy Spoon 24-hour diner. And we're sitting, we're having coffee. What are you ordering?
0: Uh, What time of day is it?
2: It's 8 p.m.
0: What state is this quote-unquote diner in?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, shit. This is so hard because you're right that the choice really does vary based on diner greasiness.
1: I'd say you don't remember how you got here, Brian. You came to and you walked into this Americana diner. You don't know where you are. You might not even be in this dimension. But you're at this diner.
2: Diners are liminal spaces.
0: Yes, I agree. Every diner is a Winkies. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about my answer. Does anyone have one?
1: I'll fire from the hip. I'd say either if they have a very good novelty pancake stack, they always stop at three. If I can get a nice like five stack of like some good blueberry chocolate chip pancakes or something. Mm -hmm. A little bit of peanut butter on them. I would go with that. If not, go with a nice eggs benedict, if not. That's a good answer.
2: A good one is very good. I'm going to say like a big old pile of hash browns, two eggs over medium, some form of bacon or sausage. And then if they have them and they're good, cheese grits.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm dumb. Is that just grits with cheese added to it? Yeah. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That's not a thing I grew up with.
2: So this is a really interesting thing to me. People listening who are not from the South, have you had grits? And if the answer is yes, and I hated them, did you have grits at a legit place or did you have grits at a Denny's? This is the question that I'm posing, please, at me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If that question is at me, I had grits growing up at like friends' houses. Grits was fine. I took it more as it absorbs the qualities, whatever other food you add to it. And it becomes that form of grits. It was fine. I never added cheese to it.
0: I remember someone at school brought in grits because their family was from the South. They were like, this is what we eat. But it was not a thing you would ever see in a Jersey diner menu, ever.
2: If they are runny, you fucked up. If they're runny, you get out of there.
0: I saw an article this week. I don't even know where it was. It was like, you think you want oatmeal, but you actually want grits.
2: I don't know about sweet grit shit. I know about cheese grits. I know about some fucking shrimp and grits. Uh, Folks, if you've never had good shrimp and grits, I'm so sorry. Remedy that, please.
1: For people who don't know, would you just explain what's the difference between, like, oatmeal and grits?
2: Oatmeal is oats, and grits are made out of grits.
1: I thought grits was just the slang for oats. Oh, no, it's a different grain.
2: It's boiled cornmeal.
1: Oh, that's why it tastes so much better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it sound fucking disgusting, but, oh, I'm looking at pictures of grits. When you go to, like, a breakfast place in the South, especially a shitty one, they have those, like, hot, wet plates that they just took out of the washer thing. Mm-hmm. They just throw a fucking craft single down, ladle those grits on top, and then you scoop it around a bit. Ugh. So Brian, what was your answer to the question?
0: Okay. So we said 8 PM, right? Yeah. Then I'm going to have to go with uh, something a diner can't fuck up, which is a club sandwich.
1: Interesting.
0: My go-tos in a non-trusted diner are going to be club sandwich or turkey burger.
2: Wow. What the fuck?
0: Turkey burger is always bad, I should add. But because it's some like fucking Genio patty or whatever, but it is reliably edible. The club sandwich is usually pretty good. The trick is to get, and no one is going to be surprised by this, extra mayo along with it because they never give you enough and to take out that middle slice of bread because it's not necessary. So that's my go to if I don't trust the diner. If I trust the diner, we're going to do a pastrami and eggs. Oh, fuck yeah. So it's like a fold it pancake style into the omelet. Might do that lox and onion omelet that I was talking about. Honestly, the most important thing, and I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast in the past is in a true diner with a 20 page menu, there's going to be 15 pages that you should just never open because it's going to be things like, you know,
2: fettuccine Alfredo.
1: Oh my God. If you order fettuccine Alfredo at a diner, you are the bravest person in the world. Or
0: a steak. (laughs) If you order a steak at a diner, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? This is, dumb. Actually, another real go-to is, and okay, I'm going to say this word. There is no correct pronunciation of this word. So it is a fake word that doesn't exist. You can pronounce it however you want. I call them gyros. All right? Oh. (laughs) It's not a gyro. There's no real Greek word that is this thing. All right? It's a made-up thing. By the way, if in New Jersey you try to say it with a Greek accent, they will have no idea what you're talking about. So... (laughs) You can be like, can I have a gyro, please? No, I don't even know how to pronounce that word really in Greek. If you try to order that at a Jersey diner, they're going to look at you like you're from another planet. They have no idea what you're talking about. Interesting. But if you get a good gyro in a diner, that's a nice diner meal.
2: See, for me, because you going for the club sandwich and the turkey burger, for me, that's in the forbidden 15-page section of the menu. What? Yeah. The first two pages are what you fuck with, and that's the breakfast food.
1: Breakfast is safer, I think, every time.
0: Yeah. I no. agree with that, but I'm probably not going to order breakfast at 8 p.m., generically speaking.
2: That's what diners are for!
1: No, 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 no. Dude, breakfast for dinner, the amount of times you can do that, Brian, is like the score to go for you in your life. Mm -hmm. How many times did you have pancakes at 9 p.m.? Then you lived a good life.
2: Diners get more delicious the later in the day that it is with like 2 a.m., 4 a.m., like peak, peak diner quality.
0: To me, the best time at a diner is, I'm going to say like 1 a.m.
2: Yeah.
1: It's the best time to rob for sure.
0: (laughs) You want a surly host who reluctantly seats you and looks at you no matter how old you are, like you're a bunch of unruly teenagers and sits you in a generally unpopulated section. Uh Uh-huh. And the waitstaff is friendly but snarky and only comes over once. That's a good (laughs) diner experience.
2: See, I like when it's an older woman who calls you sweetie. That's good, too. And seems like a little bit done, but is like super nice to you and calling you baby and stuff. Like, I love that shit. I will not accept it from men or in any other place. I'm sure this is some... (laughs) Some like weird, deep misogyny holdover or something. No, this is another It Belongs in Therapy thing where I'm like, I just want a nice older woman to be kind to me as she gives me food.
1: Because it's like grandma mom made that food for you. I yeah, agree. and it's
2: like this woman looks like she's been working in this diner and smoking the same carton of cigarettes for the past 50 years.
0: How do you feel about cakes in a rotating display?
1: Mm. I don't
2: fuck with the cake, but I fuck with the pie.
1: Wow. Yeah, Sam, I'll do pie way more at a diner. And also, like, I assume those counter pies, like the ones on the display, have never been touched. It's the way, like, in Japan, where they put up, like, display food that's not for eating. In that slice.
0: Yeah. The thing I will never touch are the individually wrapped, very large cookies.
1: Oh. As soon as they're racing saran wrap like that, you don't want to do that. Yeah. You just know they're going to be hard as
0: rocks.
2: Is there anything more disappointing than taking a bite of, like, a nice big cookie and it just, like, crisp crackle crumbles?
0: Yeah. Well, maybe if it was soaking wet. <laughs> That would be surprising. Well, you got to spritz your cookies in the morning. Yeah, you you don't dump a glass of water on your cookies. Oh, have you ever heard of this thing? I was thinking about this the other day. I know some people drink tea this way, where they kind of let the cup overflow into the saucer and then drink from the saucer. No, what?
1: (laughs) What? (laughs) Are they cats?
0: They are not cats, definitely. (laughs) Although I did see this happen in the movie Cats, so maybe I should reconsider. No, this is a way that some... Older British people, please, someone tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I don't think I am.
2: (laughs) I think you're making this up.
0: Look it up. Older British people drink tea. From the saucer. They let it overflow from the cup into the saucer and then drink out of the saucer. I'm going to Google right now.
2: It's saying that it's because it would help cool it down faster. But in that scenario, it's just like, let it sit for a minute then. Goddamn.
0: The thing is, uh, this is a thing, right? I didn't make this up.
2: You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. But at what cost? Because now I have to know about this. Okay, so
1: your first thing you do is you have the overflow tea. Not like saving it at the end for a little dessert. As far as I know.
2: (laughs) Just saving that dish tea.
1: Yeah, that that cold, tepid, room temperature dish tea.
2: Oh, there's nothing better than some just lukewarm tea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, in fact, according to what I'm reading right now, Rabindranath Tagore drank tea this way.
1: Sure. Here's what I think, Brian. I think that happened. And the American equivalent is when you would go to a like fast food place and get a large soda uh-huh. and you fill up your soda at the soda machine, but it spills out over the top. Yes. And you have that like little condensation of Coke. Oh, yeah.
0: And then you get the straw and you stick it where the soda falls in the soda machine. And you just slurp that bad boy <laughs> up.
1: Yeah. That's the American version of that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Nice.
2: And this is not a good name for the thing that it is called, but you know, a, a classic suicide where you do every single yes. soda that's on there. It, the real hack is that when it's been marinating at the bottom, it's like a sangria, and so it's just like <laughs> yeah. all the melted ice that falls through, and people put much for it. That's the good shit. That's that's the ambrosia of the gods in the disgusting. Yeah,
1: it's this new thing that kids are doing, and it's called bottom tea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, Chad, I think that's really going to catch on. I think that's a much better name than what people currently call it. It's a lot more sensitive. It's fun. It's catchy.
1: Yeah, right? You kind of you go like, ooh, what's that?
2: What's bottom tea? All the kids are talking about it. You get on TikTok, like boba is the thing the past. <laughs> it's all about the bottom tea.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Should we do segments of this show?
1: Oh, you guys have segments?
2: Oh, we have segments. Two whole segments. Hit me. I'm ready. Brian?
1: Bri- Brian?
2: Brian? Brian? He genuinely cut out, and I thought he was doing a bit. Oh, this is so exciting. Oh, shit. Brian's gone. Okay, folks, listen. I'm going to get in here while I can. The bit that we're about to do is what's popping, and we're not going to listen to the theme song, and we're not going to do this whole thing <laughs> with Brian and I'm his scared. fucking theme song bit. He's gone. He's been silenced by Zencaster. He's done.
1: Well, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like somehow Layden pulled out the audio equivalent of a gun in the studio, and I don't know what just happened. It felt like... (laughs) My internet
0: dropped out, so I don't know what happened for about the last minute.
2: Oh, tight. I introduced What's Poppin' and I talked up how great the theme song was, and then I actually played the theme song for Chad, and he thought it was awful.
0: Okay, cool. I'm going to do it again, just in case. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Chad, is what Layden just said true?
1: Can I talk to you in a private chat? Is there a way to do that?
0: Yeah, Layden, don't listen. Right.
1: Um, here's what happened, Brian. Um, you were out for a second, and I and we missed you. And then, like, Layden seemed to kind of try to pull a coup. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. she kind of just, like, took over the podcast hmm. and said, like, Brian's dead. And the theme song, <laughs> we're not going to play the theme song. And I didn't know what was going on. I was very scared, Brian. I'm glad you're back. Okay, all right. Layden, start listening again.
2: Oh, hey, guys. What's up? Hey. It's not like my name is on the title of the podcast or anything.
0: (laughs) Well, to be fair, two of us can say that.
2: Yeah. And I guess in (laughs) in a way you have both first and last name and instead my last name isn't Knight, unfortunately.
0: It's close to it, sort of.
2: It is sort of, yes.
0: Have you ever looked at Leighton Gray as a shade of gray?
2: I'm sure it is. But it would be G-R-E-Y, which is how it is very frequently
1: but when you do your special, like, branded promotion with Sherwin-Williams, you can get that, like, unique shade.
2: Oh, my God, yeah. It's, like, the perfect color for if you want to sit and rot in your room depressed as shit. That's latent Gray.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I Googled your name. Don't do that. And then I did image search because I was curious. And then it's mostly you. And then at some point, there's a picture of a old middle-aged guy.
2: I know exactly the one that you're talking about, yes.
0: Thomas Layton Gray.
2: <laughs> it's a very funny image.
0: It's funny in the context of mostly pictures of you, and then there's this, like, middle-aged white guy who looks very Republican or something. Presumably, you don't know this person, right?
2: No. So feel free to dunk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a very nice man.
2: You just said he looks Republican.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Republicans can be nice.
1: Yeah, James
2: Carville, right?
1: Sure. Like,
0: wait. Wait. And then when I click on him, I'm in the related images?
2: What? Well, I'm sure people look up pictures of Brian Wecht and...
0: Oh, no. Please tell me. People don't think this is me.
2: No, they probably
1: (laughs) think, oh, maybe I misunderstood and Laden is this guy. I'm saving
0: this picture and then I'm going to put my name on it and try to get this in my image searches.
2: Do it, please. I've gotten a variety of misspellings of my name in my life. And you know what? We are going to touch on this in Peaches. But yeah, the E is a lot. I actually... I'm not saying this to dunk on the person, but I did an interview recently where, you know, we went back and forth for a long time and then the interview came out and they spelled my last name wrong after oh. a long chain of emails. And I was just like, yo, do you mind um, fixing that? I was apologizing. I was like, I'm so sorry to be difficult, but could you please spell my name correctly? <laughs>
0: not to take away from that, but do you know what occurred to me? I thought about this the other day. A spoonerism of your name is Grayton Lay. Which is a good porn name.
2: I've never heard that one before in my life.
1: Yeah, great and lay, laying down some pipe. I assume you're being sarcastic and you've heard that a
0: million times.
2: I'm being extremely sarcastic. Our good friend Jack Septikee goes for straight and gay, which honestly accurate, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like really just predicted the bisexuality i learned about a thing last night that is not similar to spoonerism but is just a weird thing that i learned uh, are you familiar with egg corns
0: oh yes i love egg corns i'm sorry
2: Egg I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now, but it's like when you say old timer's disease instead of Alzheimer's disease, or like okay. for all intensive purposes instead of all intents and purposes.
0: Yeah. Are you looking at the internet eggcorn database?
2: <laughs> no. We all need to get on the eggcorn database.
1: Is it called an acorn because an acorn is in itself a misunderstanding of another phrase? I'm trying to like place what that would be.
2: Yeah. So
0: some people think acorns are actually called egg corns. No. She's saying E-G-G-C-O-R-N.
1: Look it up. Wow. Our education system is failing. I
0: could talk about this endlessly because I'm fascinated by these. Here's something that is amazing to me about one egg corn in particular. Okay. So when someone says, oh, if you're going to do that, then you've got another blank coming. What is the word that goes in blank? Do you know about this?
1: I don't even know if I know which one's the right one anymore. It's either think or thing, but now I don't even know which one is the right one.
2: I say thing.
0: I say thing also. And the original is think.
1: It is think. Okay.
2: Well, that's stupid.
0: The original is, if you think you're going to do that, you've got another think coming. But the K and think and the C and coming, coming, <laughs> merged to sound like thing coming. And I had, like many people with eggcorns, completely rationalized this to myself, like, oh, there's another thing coming. Sure. Like. Yeah but that's not the original. It's Think.
1: Sure. So mine would have been like in Alanis Morissette's You Ought to Know. I don't know if that counts if it's in lyrics, but I thought for sure, sure. the lyric was um, the cross-eyed bear that you gave to me, which I mm-hmm. thought was meant like Dave Coulier, the subject of that song, everyone knows, <laughs> gave Alanis Morissette like a taxidermied bear with crossed eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and she saw it every day and hated it. And I was like, yeah, the cross-eyed bear. She would fucking hate that thing. That's amazing.
2: That's a Mondegreen, though. That isn't an acorn. That's a Mondegreen.
0: I'm sorry, that's a different thing. Layden, you took the words out of my mouth. (laughs) Yes, you were totally correct.
2: Just for fucking nerds. Yeah, Mondegreens are similar where it's like a mishearing a thing as it sounds something different and it comes from, I don't even know what the song it's from, but where like the lyric is laid him on the green. And so the word is Mondegreen, M-O-N-D-E-G-R-E-E-N.
1: Sure. The other example I can think of is a great writing podcast is Children of Tendu, which is like T-E-N-D-U, uh, which the two writers nailed from that song, like Chasing Blue Cars. It's a 90s song. And like the lyric is like children often do. And they had heard it as like the children of Tendu, like a Star Trek planet kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes way more sense. That's way better.
2: One that my dad has, which, hey, Dad, in Dancing Queen with a little rock music, he always heard is with a little Watusi. (laughs) Just wondering what the fuck Watusi is. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. I might have mentioned this to you at some point. Have you ever seen the old Howie Mandel video for Do the Watusi?
1: No.
2: Oh.
1: Howie Mandel?
0: Hold on. Just a second. Do you know who Howie Mandel is?
2: Yeah, of course I know who Howie Mandel is. (laughs) Okay.
0: Just making sure. But you know he started out as a comedian. (laughs) Not a
2: game show host. (laughs) What a fucking roast. (laughs) Indeed. Wait, I fucking mondegreened my dad's own story. Is that the fucking lyric to Dancing Queen?
1: See, now I don't even know what's real anymore.
2: Where they play the right music with a bit of rock music. Yeah, there's no mention of Watusi.
0: I want us to all click this Howie Mandel link at the same time.
2: Three, two, one, go oh boy oh no oh
1: no this is oh no is this his groin is this a close-up of his groin i believe that's his <laughs> butt
2: if that was his groin i would be so fucking impressed <laughs> <laughs> oh, i guess that's a butt
1: i've got some questions okay what do you
2: do when a guy puts on your shoulder? ah i see why you wanted us to watch this you fucking mayo pervert
1: What? (laughs) What is this song? Is this like non sequiturs?
0: It's just a bunch of like comedy questions. This was a big part of his branding in the 80s.
1: I guess I don't even know what the Watusi is in any
2: context.
0: It's some kind of dance, but that's the extent of what I know about it.
2: Sorry, was that one, what do you do when your dog nuts on your head? Yeah, what if you got
1: stabbed by three spears when you're visiting France? Are those jokes? No, not
0: in a formal (laughs) sense, but, you know, I don't have a clear memory of this song, but I remember associating Watusi with Howie Mandel. When I was a kid, around 10 or so years old, I used to think his stand-up was awesome. I loved him (laughs) as a stand-up.
2: That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I can't get over the brutal roast of he used to be a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: he had this one bit he did at comic relief, which has stuck with me for years. Where he comes out on stage, and the first thing he does is he goes, "Ah, this is going to take a while. So be warned." Ah, 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 and anyway, this goes on for minutes. Sure. Where he's going, a huan, hua. And he gets to I want to talk better <laughs> after about five minutes. Oh, I used to think that was the funniest thing
1: in the world. He's a real Andy Kaufman, that Howie Mandel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, he also had the rubber glove thing where he'd put a rubber glove on, you know, over the top of his head and then below his nose and inflate it by blowing with his nose.
2: Jesus <laughs> Okay, so you know how there's the Mandela effect? What if there was a Mandela effect where people (laughs) (laughs) seem to remember that once Howie Mandel was funny?
1: (laughs) It makes you remember it was funny and also you're terrified of germs from that point on.
2: (laughs) Oh, the Mandela effect is so funny. It's like, surely there is no way human memory is fallible. It must be because alternate universe. It's fun though. Is it?
0: (laughs) Do you know what else is fun?
2: No,
0: don't do this. Is the song
1: I wrote? I was say I, I was waiting for a theme song of some sort.
0: Okay, well here it is. So I need to set it up a little bit. If if I just play it by itself, you won't understand it. Damn
2: it, fucking damn. So
0: we do this segment every week. What's poppin', which is our pop culture recommendation segment, named by the one, the only, single anus Ethan Nestor, and he he named this, and then I wrote the music for it. Again, often with these things at a risk of hyping them up too much, you know, setting expectations too high, Mm -hmm. you know, basically ensuring disappointment because you overhype it. That's not possible in this case. It is the greatest piece of music I've ever written, and (laughs) I've written some great songs. Uh,
1: (laughs) You hype every guest up to let them know this is your proudest work.
0: No, actually, I've never hyped this up before. I'm just doing this for you. Um, And because, you know, most people, I don't value... Most people, as much as I value you.
1: Thanks, Brian.
0: <laughs> most people wouldn't understand it. Most people shouldn't understand it. Most people couldn't understand it. But you, Chad Quan, <laughs> you can get it. I know what you've done. I know what you're capable of. I know you can appreciate this. So okay. I am going to play this for you. This is the What's Poppin' theme song. I want you to listen to it with an open mind and an open heart.
1: God, I'm closing my eyes. I'm leaning back. and listening. Great. Here it is right. Now
2: What's popping What's popping? Suck it, Brian. Go fuck yourself.
1: <laughs> did I just get pranked? Did I get Did I get how he does it? I wouldn't say pranked.
0: <laughs> There's a bit that some people understand is a bit and other people don't. and it is not on you. It is incumbent on me to set it up properly
2: a deeply unkind thing for you to do. As we mentioned a few episodes about the concept of bit ambush, it's a bit ambush. I actually had a pillow ready to go. So for Chad, if you betrayed me and played along and yes, yeah, sanded Brian's bit, I was going to scream it full volume into a pillow and then hope my neighbors don't think I'm getting murdered.
1: I need to know nothing played, right? That's correct. All right. I want to make sure it wasn't like Brian played a sound that only certain ears can hear. <laughs>
0: No, no, no. But when the listeners hear it, they will hear the theme song there.
1: Oh, oh, okay. Jeez. <laughs> okay, so I, I had a great time in that dimension where I listened to it. Great.
2: The buildup to it, there's a wonderful YouTube comment by an absolute hero who was like, every time Brian does the what's poppin' bit, skip by 15 seconds, skip by 15 seconds, skip by 15 seconds. I think what you guys have is- The word
0: a- you're looking for is brilliant, but
1: continue. <laughs> it is brilliant. I still see this as a talk show, right? In my mind, this is- a late night talk show, you know, ladies behind a desk. Mm-hmm. Brian, you're either like part robot because that's like half of the host now. You're over at your podium, right? Yep.
2: Thank you so much for assuming that Brian is the Andy Richter and it wasn't me <laughs> being brought on as the Andy Richter for Brian. That really like flatters me.
1: Lane, in my mind, you're wearing like a real cool modern suit. Something Kristen Stewart would be rocking at.
2: See, you're going hard on the flattery now after the whole ratting me out to Brian thing. You're going for it. <laughs>
1: So I balanced it out. And then, like, you know, Brian's got, like, some sort of cool... The way that, like, Travis Barker from Blink-182 would play in, like, a rotating drummer chair, I think Brian's got, like, Mm -hmm. a moving rotation platform. And you're just kind of, like, constantly shifting around on stage. (laughs) I love it. You're, like, in front of the camera a lot of time. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I would do.
2: It's like a lazy Susan that I have control over. And then every time Brian does something stupid, I up the speed. So it just (laughs) continues to go.
1: (laughs) That's kind of the picture I've always assumed for late night. And I think it's a really good strategy to have guests on where you put them on the back foot where they don't know what's real. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's the Eric Andre and even me saying the me controlling the circular thing. It's like one of my favorite Eric Andre moments is in the Seth Rogen interview where they have like one of those going and just the set gets destroyed while they're doing the interview. Right. Uh, (laughs) So good.
0: Layton, what's popping?
2: What's popping for me is I've recommended the podcast Behind the Bastards before, but I only just past couple of days discovered that they've done like six episodes where they read Ben Shapiro's terrible novel.
1: Oh, Oh, no. Oh, no.
2: It's so fucking great. He wrote a novel? He wrote a novel. I think he's written several of them, but this one came out in 2016. He is such a bad writer, and also it is so aggressively racist in every fucking direction.
0: It's cool, though, right? It's a cool
1: book.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be cooler for reading it. Yeah. It's a a political thriller starring Army General Brett Hawthorne, oh,
0: Brett Shapiro.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Ben Shapiro, but he is fucking every single time somebody's introduced. He says what their height is, and like the protagonist and all the cool dudes are like tall, and it's like, oh my god, dude, you're so insecure about being short. You're just obsessed with height and dunking on libs.
0: I don't know, and I've tried to keep it this way. I don't know anything about Ben Shapiro except that that's excellent. He writes bad tweets. I've tried not to pay attention to idiot pseudo intellectuals.
2: All you have to know. He's an idiot. He's fucking annoying. He's never made his wife come. I
1: did see that one. Yes. (laughs) He admitted to that or just we all connected the dots based on how he was analyzed?
2: It was like he admitted that his
0: wife has a dry vagina or something.
1: (laughs) I know he was reading the lyrics to WAP.
2: Yeah, yeah. He's just so... Easy to dunk on, and I love an excuse to do it in podcast form for over six hours. Uh, so, <laughs> highly recommend if you need a little reprieve. Because I was listening to a ton of Behind the Bastards episodes because for some reason I wanted to hear about terrible people uh, having consequences for their horrible crimes. I don't know why I would have mm-hmm. suddenly been interested in that. But then I was like, okay, this is a bummer. I gotta get some lighthearted uh, <laughs> Benny Shapiro's
1: in here. What is it about, like, especially conservative pundit? has either a secret book career or a secret stand-up career. Kellyanne Conway fucking used to do stand-up. Oh, right. What? Yeah, there's like clips of her like at Ice House. There's this thing where at some point you go out to do the entertainment in Hollywood in LA or New York. It doesn't take off for you, so you get really mad at liberals. And then you become a conservative pundit. (laughs) You're talking about Ben Shapiro made me think of how I remember that Bill O'Reilly, who's, like, kind of lost his, his place now. Oh, yeah. He wrote a goddamn detective book that was just his self-insert, like, what the character named, like, Patches O'Houlihan is, like, solving crimes. And it had a very graphic, like, oral sex scene.
2: Because, of course, it did.
1: This is just your jerk-off fan fiction, Bill O'Reilly, before you
2: became the face of Fox News. It's really a strange runner. They're very telling about the people who write them and just a wealth of riches within um, Ben Shapiro's (laughs) just fucking stunningly incompetent prose to the point where they're like, I don't think anybody edited this.
0: Probably not. You can't edit perfection, (laughs) Leighton.
1: Do you have a grasp on the plot of the book via this podcast?
2: It's called True Allegiance. It's like America's falling apart because of the libs. It has some extreme stuff where he's, like, clearly blaming, like, Black Lives Matter as being, like, engineered to make cops look bad. It's really just him going on a variety of, like, screeds of terrible views for the sake of quote-unquote fiction.
0: I believe the phrase you're looking for is a novel of ideas.
2: (laughs) The best part is that in the, like, blurbs for the beginning of the book, the first one is from Salon.com, meet our new Ayn Rand.
0: wow. Wow. (laughs) At Salon?
2: Yes. And so because of the salon.com thing, they were like, the actual headline that they took it from is, meet our new Ayn Rand, Ben Shapiro's ham-fisted propaganda fiction is even worse than you guessed. (laughs) 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 The Uh wingnut pundit resents the liberal tone of TV, but turns out cartoonish right-leaning prose. So yeah, anyway, highly recommend Behind the Bastards, Ben Shapiro.
1: You're not recommending the book to read. God, no. But the podcast dunking on it.
2: If you feel like you got a few extra brain cells that you could stand to lose, maybe. Okay, Chad, what's popping?
1: Man, I love this theme song, by the way. Thank you. Really catchy. Really near worm. A near worm. (laughs) (laughs) I have been just like really vibing on Yakuza 7, a.k.a. Yakuza, like a dragon. Are you all familiar with the Yakuza series at all? Only in passing.
2: Vaguely. Mostly just because I see sexy fan art of it a lot.
1: There's some sexy characters on it. I have loved this Yakuza 7. To paraphrase a tweet that described it very well, a Yakuza storyline is like a serious Japanese crime soap drama that every once in a while just shifts into a Simpsons episode. <laughs> <laughs> all of this matters. There's like an hour and a half of buildup. It's like a Hideo Kojima game where you're like learning about this young man and he's pledged himself to the Tojo clan and he believes in the Yakuza because they're honorable criminals. And he goes to prison for 20 years to help save another person in his crime and he comes out and he, everything's different and no one wants to work with him anymore. And like he's got to rebuild his life. And then like you go into a, like a quest where you save a crab from being cooked by a homeless man who wants to eat it. <laughs> and he's like, well, you like this crab more than me. Now you can summon this crab whenever you want. And then I pull out my phone and use an app in the game called Poundmates where I can <laughs> summon certain characters that I have met and befriended. Everything from a lobster and her many lobsters that'll rain down from the sky to a man who has a diaper fetish who if I call him, (laughs) he'll show up and like lower everyone's attack and defense by crying, to I just unlocked an orbital laser. It is a not so bar game, but I'm having a blast with it.
2: Sounds fabulous.
1: The other cool thing I think is different about it is that every Yakuza game that I played a little bit of Zero, and a few other ones, like it is usually like a beat-em-up, like action game. But this one is the first time they did an RPG, and it's called Like a Dragon because the main character, Ichiban, is a fan of the Dragon Quest games. He talks about them in the game, and that he sees everything in real life like an RPG. Like, you befriend your party, and the very first guy you befriend, Namba, the best character, he's a homeless man. And they have a very, like, touching, long story about what it's like to be homeless and forgotten in Japan. Hmm. But he is your mage. He is a class and you go to his class and his stats and it's called Homeless Guy. Like He has spells that are about like summoning pigeons or like drinking a bunch of booze and having fire breath attacks. And it is like so silly. But then like within a heartbeat, it'll be like dramatic music playing. Like, yeah, I'm helping this girl get over cancer and I'm trying to save enough money to... Get her back on her feet. But then also that monkey has construction equipment. Stop him. And then you find a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> it has been such a great escape from its reality, but such a better version of reality that I have been enjoying playing these like, last three or four months. That's awesome.
2: Brian is going to recommend some like Yacht Rock from the fucking <laughs> 80s or something.
0: No. No, I'm not. Hold on. I have to look something up real
1: quick that's not Yacht Rock. <laughs>
0: What's popping for me is I have now watched all of the Legion TV series. Chad, have you seen this?
1: I've only seen the pilot, and it was very
0: cool. Yeah, so it's three seasons. It's a Noah Hawley who did Fargo as well. The first season is great. The whole thing looks cool. I think it's set in the 70s, or if not, it has that aesthetic, like a 60s, 70s kind of thing. The second season is, like, almost incoherent. (laughs) <laughs> even though cool stuff happens,
1: I would say, even the pilot I watched, it was like pretty hard to follow.
0: It's got a very
1: unreliable
0: main character. And there's a lot of like, is this real or is this not? Kind of shit intentionally. But the second season, like, I, I would read recaps after I watched the episode and I'd be like, that happened? that's what that was? What? (laughs) So I was not following a lot of it. And then it got much more coherent in the third season. I love the aesthetic of it. There's some great characters. Is the whole thing amazing? It takes some big swings, and I'd always rather have someone take big swings than not. But I really, really enjoyed it start to finish. And it has some really great and fun actors. The guy who plays the Shadow King in particular rules.
1: Oh, that's right. I remember early on that first season, they were like hiding the Shadow King in the background of like all these shots, really interesting ways Where like, yeah. Or like in the opening pilot, like he's playing with a toy and the toy happens to be a real made a prop of like a little action figure of Shadow Man, which is like really fucking cool. You wouldn't notice it unless you're looking for it.
0: Yeah, and basically, he's just kind of a monster in the first season. In the second season, they connect a human face to him. And that actor, I forget his name, is fantastic he's just one of those guys you just like watching
1: it's also like a stealth x-men property right that's the craziest thing about legion oh yeah does it feel like an x-men show when you're watching it
0: it does when charles xavier shows up yeah
1: are you you fucking kidding (laughs) me xavier's in legion
0: yeah yeah in season three uh significant portion of it
1: is he the dad of legion
0: he's the dad that's known
1: because that's in canon i wasn't sure if they were going to do that part okay cool
0: yeah yeah so he shows up at some point they say mutants they use the phrase Omega Level. It's not not an X-Men show. It's not like, you know, fucking Storm walks out and starts
1: high-fiving people or something. <laughs> you, know, you never know at this point. There was another, like, X-Men show these last couple of years. Like, there was the Gifted on Fox.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know a single person to watch that show, and no. that seems like that should have been a big deal.
0: I don't know much about him. I don't have time or the inclination to watch any of these other, like, DC superhero shows. I will be watching WandaVision. Because I'm interested in that.
2: Against my better judgment, it looks tight as fuck, and I refuse to pay for Disney Plus because th- it's my exact, like, depressed reality bending, like, pop culture mashup bullshit, but, like, I categorically refuse to watch it. So let me know if it's good.
0: I will. Anyway, I recommend Legion. I thought it was fun. It goes by pretty quick, but it definitely helps to have show recaps because I can't even tell you there were huge plot points that I absolutely missed because either I'm stupid or. I wasn't paying attention, or it just was unclear what was happening.
1: The reason he's called Legion is because he has multiple personalities, right? Like, that's from the comic book. Sort of? Yeah, the show doesn't really lean into that as much, or they're kind of weird about it?
0: He has severe mental illness, which is a big part of the plot. Okay. But they don't do, like, multiple personalities, exactly. So, no, I, I wouldn't say they do that, but there are aspects, multiple aspects of... David Haller's
1: personality. That's really cool.
0: I loved it. It's a really fun, interesting show that I probably won't be watching again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Hell yeah.
0: Next segment.
2: This segment is a gratitude exercise that we do. It's called Peaches and Lemons. We each share one lemon. I feel like I get less enthusiastic every single time I introduce peaches and lemons.
0: You do, and it's great. <laughs>
2: Just the exact opposite of your what's popping bit. Lemon is a thing that's like a petty grievance. And then we each do three peaches, which are things that are like good or whatever. (laughs) So uh, we're going to each share a lemon first. And then I guess we'll do peaches. Peaches and lemons.
0: Peaches and lemons. All right, I'll do one. It's real petty. I found a hard drive when I was cleaning out my garage, it has no power. It clearly gets USB power and it just won't start. And I have no idea what the fuck is on it. I don't know how to start it up. And it's really bugging me because I don't think there's anything important on it. It's probably just some old backup from a computer from like 10 years ago. But I want to know what's on the thing so I can wipe it before I toss it out.
1: There could be a thousand bitcoins on there.
0: I read a thing today about a guy who's trying to unlock his Bitcoin wallet and has 10 guesses before it annihilates, and he's used eight of them. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. It was fucking great. Anyway, that's my lemon Is I have this hard drive, which might have cool old pictures, which I found on another hard drive I found in the garage. And I just want to know what's on this thing, and I can't figure out how to even get the power on.
2: That's tragic. Chad. I have
1: been trying to stay in, like, nonstop as much as I can, especially (laughs) because we're we're the pandemic's uh, center of the entire planet in Los Angeles.
0: Hell yeah, we are, bitch.
1: Yeah, (laughs) go Lakers Nation. Let's do it. But the few times I've gone out, you know, to pick up sandwiches or something, the lemon I get is I see couples and one of the two people in the couple is wearing a mask and the other one doesn't. Yes. And I can't fucking figure it out. It makes me more mad than just people not wearing a mask in a weird way. Ryan, you've seen this?
0: Yes, it's so dumb.
2: I see this every fucking day.
1: Yeah, there's people not following protocols at all. But like when people are like holding hands, they might as well be kissing. And one person has a mask on, the other one doesn't even have one on them. How are you guys not on the same fucking page about this? Like that drives me crazy.
0: Yeah, exactly. (sighs) It seems to me an extension of that classic trope where it's a man and a woman on a date And the woman looks amazing. And the guy has a ratty t-shirt and old jeans on.
1: (laughs) I guess that's the new version of that, right? Everyone should wear a mask. Of course, I would prefer they both wear it, but at least like talk it out, guys, before you go outside.
2: There is something uniquely infuriating about that.
1: That's my lemon.
2: That's like a big enough lemon to fill a whole pitcher.
1: Yeah, it's more of a melon.
2: Like a grapefruit. My lemon is that I regret taking for granted having in-unit washer dryer for most of my life. Now I'm lucky that we have two machines in my complex for, you know, over a dozen people, but they're at the top of the stairs. I don't like stairs. That's fine. The worst part is that it's it's a fucking hobbit hole, and I'm not exaggerating. There's barely enough room to stand up. And every fucking time, like I'm already pissed because I'm waiting for my neighbors to take their wet clothes out of the washing machine <laughs> so I can do my shit and then I'm not thinking about it and I slam my head and every time I do laundry
0: because
2: I have to go back and forth like a bunch of times because they're shitty paid machines where like you dry your sheets and it's like well you're gonna have to pay an extra uh, buck fifty if you want these to not be sop and wet
1: uh, does your place make you use tokens
2: Thankfully not tokens. It used to be quarters and then the machines were breaking so much and so constantly that we got new ones. But now it's like a stupid app that also, I guess, is doing some like weird scratch off like lottery grift. So I'm always getting notifications that are like, enter now to win. And it's like, please, I just want to wash my whites, please. So that's my lemon. Doing laundry is going to give me brain damage. Mm -hmm.
1: That's why I never do it. Yeah. I've worn the same shirt for the last month. Pandemic, baby. Hell yeah. Oh, same.
2: This was me coming out of the depression hole and being like, "Mm, you should probably care for my things in person. (laughs) Folks, peaches.
0: I am happy to go again, too. And I believe you and I probably share a peach this week, Layton. Yep. My first peach is the videos that our lovely producer Jarek made with the What's Poppin' <laughs> theme song in Knock Knock, which have been posted to our social media and are very, very funny. I laughed out loud.
1: The horror movie, Knock Knock, the with Keanu Reeves?
0: That's yeah, the one. Yeah, we yeah. talked about it last week. There's a scene where they torture him with sound and he has headphones on, and he put in the What's Poppin' theme song, which fit perfectly in the scene, and yep. it was great. And then he did another video where uh, he labeled who everyone was, like Keanu was Layton. I was, what's her name, turning on the music. Is that Samara Weaving? Is that who that is?
2: No, it's Eli Roth's wife, whose name I forget. The other one's Anna Darmus.
0: Anyway, I thought these videos were super funny. <laughs> Jarek just sent them out of the blue. So I thought that was great.
2: Oh, it killed me because he texted it. And I was just like, wait, why is Jarek just sending us a scene from this movie? So like the What's Poppin' theme hit just right. Yes. So kudos, Jarek. We love you.
0: And he was like, should I post this? And we were both just like, yeah, yeah. are you kidding? Of course. Now. now. <laughs> my next peach is that my favorite thing of the year, the MIT Mystery Hunt, a giant puzzle solving weekend is this weekend. And as always, as I have for the past 20-something years, I will be doing it. I'm not going to be in Boston for it as I usually would be because it's all remote for obvious reasons. But I'm going to get together with old college friends and solve really hard, really weird puzzles that a bunch of cool MIT people put together. That's rad. Yep. It's a full weekend. It It is one of the absolute highlights of my year. It's just the nerdiest thing in nerd town. It's really, really great. My third peach is a text conversation that Audrey and Leighton had. oh Recently. Leighton, I feel like you would do a better job of describing this since you were the one texting.
2: Yeah, this is also one of my peaches.
0: Oh, we can do a combo peach. We can just roll right into yours.
2: This is our first combo peach. Oh, damn. So I have to scroll past a bunch of pictures of Brian in a hat. Yeah, actually, you know what? I'm just going to read what the text conversation was Because Chad, it involves you. (gasps) This is on Sunday. Brian says, what do you think about asking Chad Q if he wants to be our guest this week? And I said, totally. I'll poke him if you haven't. And then Brian said, I haven't. That would be perfect. This is like how our texts go. Like, did you do the thing? Did I do the thing? Yeah. I said, cool. We'll do that now. Then Brian says, the next text will be from Audrey. And I was like, oh, wow. What? What does Audrey have to say? And the following text was just, I love you.
0: All lowercase.
2: All lowercase. I responded, I love you too, Audrey! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, less than three. And then she responded, "I heart emoji you Latin. I love every hin you do. And then I'm gonna tell you what the exact emojis are because it's a bunch of them, and the order is important. Okay. Menorah emoji, checkmark emoji, heart, frozen face, sick face, vomit face, mask face, little eight bit Atari creature, got clown, we got the shit emoji. Okay. <laughs> Jack o' lantern, lips, a fairy." a genie, a guy running, and then it's, like, two dozen squids. It,
0: it, it, well, <laughs> it's it's an octopus, then a squid, then, like, two dozen octopuses, and then a final squid.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm trying to, like, connect a story out of those emojis.
0: No, don't. She was just scrolling through the phone, being like, that, 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 that. She got to the <laughs> animals. I didn't tell you this part, Leighton. She got to the animals, and she's like, what's Leighton's favorite animal? And she was near an octopus, and this had been going on for a while, so I just
1: said octopus. You better stick to it now, Layton.
2: She's pretty accurate, though. Cuttlefish were my favorite for a really long time. Yeah. But yeah, so this made my entire fucking week.
1: She
0: was so happy. She loves texting with people. She'll text with Commander Meowch occasionally. and <laughs> Oh my god. It's pretty much the same thing. But my rule with Audrey in writing is generally I won't tell her how to spell things. I want her to try to figure it out. And then after she does it, I'll tell her what the... The right spelling is
2: Latin is a great, yeah, absolutely wonderful version of my name.
0: Yeah. It's just so cute watching her with the phone, just like texting you, oh, when she started writing, I love everything you do. <laughs> just like <laughs> aw.
2: That like hit me just right. It was like the kind of validation I really needed on Sunday. It was precious.
0: Cool. All right. Do you want to roll into your second peach?
2: Yeah. So that was first peach. My second peach is I was on a walk with Vernon because we get together to walk our dogs. And we were walking past some open garages. And I looked over and at the very back of one of these garages that was right on the street was a big framed coming soon kind of uh, housing for like a big poster. Mm-hmm. And it was for the Charlie's Angels movie. And it was, the the framing thing was coming soon to Laserdisc. Um, <laughs> and it had a, a cord like for you to plug in like it was supposed to be in a video store or something.
0: Oh, this is not the new Charlie's Angels.
2: No, no, this is like, Old one.
1: Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. They had laser discs still? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. See it in the back of the garage, and then I yell, like, holy shit, this is so fucking cool. And then I just hear a voice from up top, like, uh, above street level, like, oh, you like the Charlie's Angels thing? And we talked to the guy who owned it, and he was like, I don't know, I got on Craigslist. And then we were like, hey, if anybody steals it, it was us. So... I have a picture of it. I'll post it on the Instagram or force Jarek to post it. That's the kind of object that I would like to have in my life. That's awesome. Just blessed, blessed content. And then my third peach is I ordered parts so I can build another keyboard. I'm going to build a curia.
1: <laughs> That's like a confession. Like Just the tone of your voice.
2: Well, yeah, because like I would say probably the percentage of uh, my peaches throughout the year long, I think like over a year now. Because we're in January, but like it skews heavily on the keyboard side. But anyway, doing a split Kyria with two OLED screens, one on each side. I'm gonna do some Kale Box Whites switches in there. Don't know about the keycaps yet. Very excited about it. It's gonna be a lot more intensive soldering wise. And instead of just using the regular QMK configurator, which you can use to get your code for your keyboard so you can flash it and use your macros or whatever, I'm gonna have to actually like write it from scratch. So, We'll see how it goes. Very excited. That's rad. Sweet. Chad.
1: My first peach, some old long-term friends, this weekend asked me to officiate their wedding in the next couple months, which I'm very honored about. Aw. And I was like, I want to hug you guys. I can't hug you right now, right? Because we're hanging out long distance. We're all going to do digital. It's like a digital wedding because we're doing this during a pandemic. So it'll be responsible to have 100 people in a building together. So I will be a digital priest to them while everyone else is on their own screens. And I'm like, my mind is already racing with like so many fun ideas. like, I wanna build like a robot chassis for like my screen to go in. (laughs) Like play with some vocoder shit kind of thing. And like, they're gonna regret asking me to officiate their wedding. But like the fact that it's digital, I'm already thinking about like, could I make a V2 persona by then? And like, just get that.
2: Just be a cute little anime girl officiating a wedding. That'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, Hatsune Miku is with like a little suit, gonna officiate your wedding. They're like, we don't even know what this is, Chad. We don't even know what this reference is. That's one of my peaches. Very excited about that. A small, a small peach is that I found this guy on like Twitter who you probably already seen his stuff, but like he does the first good Trump impression I've heard in six years. Oh, his Twitter had pulled up to make sure I had it right. was like at uh, shrimp I think his name is Dame Austin Johnson.
0: Oh, I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know him personally, but I remember someone saying something similar. Like, this is the only good Trump oppression. Yeah.
1: Yeah, after like, you know, this point in this last year, I couldn't fucking stand listening to Trump talk. I didn't want to see Alec Baldwin do another goddamn SNL sketches, Trump, all of that stuff. And like, I'm that burned out. And then this dude comes out of nowhere in the... 12th inning, I know that's not even a good sports metaphor.
0: <laughs> 12th inning. The
1: 12th inning. It's gone into long extra innings. It has gone too long. He nailed the Trump impression, and the key is to have Trump talk about dumb cartoon bullshit. Like, <laughs> complain about Scooby-Doo, or complain about how like Lego sets aren't as big as they used to be anymore. And like it infantilizes Trump so much better than any other satire I've seen of the last... Yeah. yeah five or six years.
2: I just watched like two seconds of his most recent video and yeah, that's fucking spot on.
1: It's a very good voice too. I was just like, that's a shame that you didn't either have this in 2016 or uh, didn't burst out because maybe America would have gone a different way. That's how good the impression (laughs) is.
2: I feel like for me, the only Trump impression that I want to see is somebody who is not explicitly doing Trump, but is like implicitly doing Trump, which is like Tim Heidecker with all the on cinema stuff, like perfect spot on. He totally gets the mannerisms and attitude, like all of that. And it's great because he's not explicitly being like, oh, I'm being Trump.
1: Last night, like, you know, uh, the girlfriend and I were just like listening to his videos. I was like, I'm laughing at a Trump joke and I haven't laughed at a Trump joke in two years at least. Yeah. Or I guess when, like, Trump got COVID, I laughed a lot that night. There was a lot of good memes on Twitter that day.
2: That was, like, the one good day this year. When
0: he got banned from Twitter on
1: Friday. That was pretty solid.
0: Look, we all have concerns about the power of big tech. That was the correct decision. Should have happened earlier. And I was very, very happy about
2: it. I was too angry about it and everything else to actually take the W on that. I'm sure, as a lot of Americans have been, just a ball of untethered rage and dread. (laughs) I have like a bunch of screenshots because I was on a Discord call when that news broke on that beautiful Thursday, and it was just great. Twitter was good again. Everything was uh, at peace. Everything was in order.
1: It was like a breath of fresh air after a long time of just like inhaling fumes. So that's one of my peaches. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I don't know if I had these all prepared, is I just love this sandwich place next to... I moved to Burbank recently, and I go to this place called Ike Sandwiches in Burbank. Oh, Okay. My fucking God, like I could just go every day.
2: What's your go-to Ike sandwich?
1: There's all over LA, I think. It's one of those places that have like 500 sandwiches, which is usually on the menu. They only put up like 30 up. But if you want to dig through the menu and request something different, they have a bunch of vegan options, which is great because I'm pretty much vegan at this point. So fucking tasty. I'll recommend. Listen, if you go into Burbank, you get the, either the Michael Jordan or the vegan version, the Meatless Mike, or get the John Ritter. It is very, very tasty. It's given me joy during the pandemic.
0: Oh, this looks good.
1: Yes. Okay. I'm going to try this. Very, very good.
2: Are the sandwiches consistently so fucking wet for you? Because I like ICE, <laughs> But every time to- they're like sopping, like it's so good. The bread's great. We used to get ICE sandwiches at the office all the time.
1: Sure. I mean, like, I get them a little sloppy. I don't get it without tomatoes. I think tomato takes a lot of that moisture off the sandwich. Yeah. In my opinion. I'm going to have to lick my fingers clean after I'm done with a sandwich. Like, I shouldn't eat this in an important meeting sandwich is where I go.
2: Oh, yeah. There are some foods that, like, are just so good when you're eating them messily in the comfort of your home and nobody can see you, such as a large burrito, which is what I'm about to do. Or when you get a whole, like, roast chicken from the hot area in the grocery store and then you just eat it over the sink like an animal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got one of those the other day, but no, because I, you know have dinner with my family. I did not eat that over the sink, although I have done that with leftovers.
2: You annihilate it. It's so good. And then you have the bones left and you make a nice little chicken sauce.
0: Dump hot sauce all <laughs> over it.
1: It's the best. To wrap up my third peach, also another good recommendation, There, James and the Giant Peach is a vegan one that's really good with peaches in it. It's really delicious.
2: Ooh, what else is on the sandwich?
1: James. So this is just a boy, <laughs> a little orphan boy. Yep. <laughs> It's orphan slices and peaches.
2: The sadder they are, the better it tastes. God. But yeah, like putting fruit on sandwiches is good. You get a little bit of like fig and brie sandwich or you get some with a little like prosciutto and apricot jam. Like it's where it belongs. Brie and apple, brie and pear.
1: Yeah, right. Anyway, I just appreciate a place that's like we do permutations very well and it's consistent. Ike Sandwiches, Burbank. That's my peaches. Sweet. Chad, this was great. Thank you so much for taking this time.
0: This was a real delight.
1: I had a blast. I hope I didn't embarrass myself too much or like, you know.
0: No, you were awesome.
1: You were perfect. Oh, I always thought this was a very cool show. I saw it popping up on the internet all the time. And I'm a big fan of both of you guys. And I mean, not to put you on the spot, Brian, but since Lane's been on Goosebuds, Brian, we would love to have you on sometime.
0: Oh, dude, anytime. Absolutely.
1: I would also love to get your perspective as both a father and a man from a different generation, you know? Well, you
0: know, I've never read a Goosebumps book, so...
2: That's a fresh, hot take. I would also love to come back on just because I had a great fucking time.
1: Please, Hey, maybe we have you guys both on at the same time and see how he reacts to it. Because Layden was like a Goosebumps expert a little bit more than us. I think you had some Fear Street knowledge, right?
2: Maybe.
1: You just had horror knowledge.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, my introduction to Goosebumps was they had a ton of them at the hospice center where my Nana was dying. And they're like, oh, children's like Goosebumps, right? (laughs) right. (laughs) What's about ghosts? They have to confront mortality. Death is just the beginning. Goosebumps. (laughs)
1: Anyway, yeah, I'd love to have you both back on the show. If you ever want to check out the podcast, it's just called, you search like Goosebuds or Goosebuds Pod on Twitter. We have 90 uh, ish episodes covering YA books and other related things.
2: Congratulations on 90 episodes. Where can people find you if they would like to stalk you on the internet or potentially, you know, your home address, social security number, et cetera.
1: Yeah, please watch uh, like Troll Hunters and Wizards on Netflix. I'm on social media at Quantum Theory. That's Q-U-A-N-D-T-U-M Theory. It's a very funny pun based on my name that no one knows how to spell. So it doesn't work really well. (laughs) I say Goosebuds and that, that's where I'm at.
2: Beautiful. Folks, thank you for tuning in today for this very exciting episode. I say very exciting episode. I had a great time. I'm literally sitting in the dark right now like it is pitch black in my apartment. Same. <laughs> but hope you all are doing well and that you're staying safe and, as usual, in hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's our catchphrase. We're saying it all the time. Stay safe, come hard. Yeah. That's sweeping the nation. <laughs> it really is. Um, all right, folks. Be well. Stay safe, come hard, et cetera. I already said it. Uh, end of the podcast. Whatever. Fuck you. Bye. Wear rubber. Bye.
0: Layton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Layton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Layton Night, on Instagram at Layton underscore night, or email us at Night at gmail.com.